Hey Regen family, it is good to be with you in your speakers or your earbuds or your podcast app or playing this sermon online as we walk the wilderness of coronavirus together. I'm always glad to be with you and I'm really missing seeing you and as an extrovert who has a love language and physical touch, I just wish I could see you God, we name you king and ruler over a creation that is in rebellion against you. And, and wow, do we feel the heaviness of that rebellion uh, in these days. Do we feel the brokenness? And so we long for a day that you will come again to dwell with us when creation will be made new until then, we ask for you to strengthen us, to share that wisdom and power and love with which you reign. Would you share that with us today so we can know how to walk wisely in these days? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let me get myself situated here. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 91 is where we'll be today. Psalm 91. And it is good to be together, and uh, even after a challenging week in our house, uh, it was challenging for all the reasons that you would expect. It was challenging for the reasons that you might not. Uh, last week, Jack came down with a cold, and there is no such thing as social distancing with a toddler. So, of course, uh, Steph got it too. So, while we've been communicating with you and caring for you and trying to even, as a family, figure out what it means to live right now in this time, uh, we have been wrestling with long nights and long days and runny noses, and there's been a lot of whining. And yes, that whining has been my whining. And so, um, but in case you missed it, I shared on email on Friday and on social media on Friday that we will be postponing in-person gatherings until further notice. Um, we want to obey governing authorities. That's biblical in Romans 13. We want to honor the spiritual leadership above us. So Governor Mike DeWine and Bishop Tracy Malone have urged us not to gather, and so we won't. We will bring the necessary amount of people into this space if we still can next week and in the weeks ahead, but we will still continue to find ways to gather together. And Steph already shared, if you are just tuning in, Steph shared earlier some of the ways that we're gonna move our community online and step into that scattered life, that scattered life. I wanna keep saying that we aren't changing our behavior out of fear. We are changing our behavior out of love, out of love for the most vulnerable. And, and to that end, my encouragement to you today is that the most loving thing that you can do is to stay home. Please, in the days ahead, stay home. We are not uh, in normal anymore, and so we are in abnormal. So please, stay home, unless you're going out to get food, 
stay inside and avoid social contact. It's one of the ways that we love each other. And as a committed extrovert, this is really hard for me. And FaceTime and Zoom only get me so far. Um, someone texted me and said, I bet you're really wishing for a hug right now. And I was like, yeah, because uh, uh, physical touch is like my love language. I mean, what love language isn't mine? I'll take anything I can get. But the point is, um, this is a challenge. This is a challenge for those in our community that are single and don't have someone to share this with. This is a challenge for those whose marriages are in a difficult place because now they're just stuck with that person. This is a challenge for those who are walking with anxiety or depression or another kind of uh, mental disorder because in these moments, we're just kind of living with that. And so I just want to encourage you to keep reaching out uh, to find ways to be creative and find community in this season. Um, and like I said, we're going to continue live streaming this gathering in any way we can for as long as we can. And so, um, listen, our, our goal in this season, this is not a break, by the way, from being the people of Jesus. Uh, and I'm going to talk about this more next week. But what I am sensing in such a heavy and profound way in, is that for us as a church and for the global church, and in particular for the church in the West, um, this is a season of formation. Um, when God calls his people into the wilderness, it is always to kind of prune away some stuff that shouldn't be there, and it is always to bring back uh, or bring to new life things that must be there. And I think this may be, I prayerfully hope this is, a season in which God is preparing us as a church for what comes next. Um, and, and I think we will see across the church in the West uh, something new bloom out of this. God wants to sow something into our community that he will bring to harvest when we gather together again. And so I want to encourage you to use this time to press in, to press in, uh, to draw your heart and your mind to the Lord, to Jesus, away from news, away from social media, and to saturate your whole self with truth. And, and that's even the spirit of this gathering. That's the spirit of all of the content that we're going to be putting out in, in the weeks ahead. But for today, I want us to draw our hearts and our minds to one of my absolute favorite passages of scripture, Psalm 91. It's a psalm that shares with us God's desire to protect us and to care for us when we need it most, Psalm 91. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to read Psalm 91, and then we'll kind of walk through it together. So Psalm 91 says this, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest, in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Verse 5. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make Yahweh your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, that no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. 
You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Verse 14, I love this. The Lord says, quote, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them, and I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Psalm 91 is filled with precious promises of God's protection, of his protection and his presence. But this psalm is not written in a vacuum. It is not without context because Psalm 91 is a psalm all about war, all about war. God is named as a refuge and a place of safety. These are places soldiers go when battle gets heated. The psalmist speaks of arrows that fly by day, traps our enemies lay for us. It speaks of the diseases that so easily strike in battle. It speaks of fellow soldiers falling at your side. This psalm of God's protection and presence in the midst of war, this is what this psalm is, is about protection and presence in the midst of war. And this is good news to us today because this is wartime, not peacetime. This is wartime, not peacetime. There may be no army arrayed on the field of battle. There may be no enemy whose name we curse, but we are at war. Our battle is not against a human enemy, but against an enemy smaller than the eye can see. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. This battle is against the one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The one who celebrates every infection and delights in every death. We are in the midst of war, as evidenced by our normal life is no longer our normal life. What gave us comfort and reassurance, our predictable patterns of two weeks ago are no more. And we do not know when they will return. This is wartime, not peacetime. And Psalm 91 is a wartime sermon. It is a general speaking to his troops. It is a commander addressing those under her purview. And surprisingly, the call isn't to courage or bravery or self-sacrifice. The call of Psalm 91 is trust. In a nutshell, Psalm 91 says this, the Lord protects those who trust in him. The Lord protects those who trust in him. Even in the midst of war, we are in God's protective custody. Even in the midst of war, we are in God's protective custody. And there are three movements in this psalm that unpack this idea of protection and trust. Uh, in verses 1 and 2, the anonymous psalmist tells us his own story. He speaks of his own faith and trust. And then in verses 3 through 13, he invites us to join him in trusting God. He preaches a sermon of God's protection. And then in verses 14 through 16, God joins the conversation. He chimes in and makes his own invitation to trust in the midst of war. And so we're going to take each move in turn. So let's start at verse 1. The psalmist says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The psalmist speaks in general terms. He speaks about people. Those ones who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of Almighty. He starts general, but then he gets personal. In verse 2, he says, This I declare of the Lord. 
He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in him. One, two, three, four, five first-person personal pronouns. He is getting personal. This is a move from general to personal. It's a reminder that it is easy to speak about God. It is easy to speak about God in general terms, but it is another thing entirely to know him personally. You might be listening today, you might be watching today, and you might be someone that knows a lot about God. But the psalmist makes this move as if to ask if we're ready to move beyond knowing about God to really knowing God. It's not about having God near your life. It is about putting him at the very center of who you are. And the psalmist helps us in this personal knowing of God by introducing us to God very specifically and very carefully in these verses. He names God with four different names in verses 1 and 2, and then he offers four different metaphors for what God is like in these verses. All of this is trying to invite us to know God personally. There are four names of God, four names of God used in this passage. The first is Most High. God Most High, a title that cuts every threat down to size by comparison. Second, he names him as the Almighty, a name that speaks of God's limitless power and limitless ability. Third, Yahweh, the Lord. This is God's personal name. Uh, It's the name that Moses encounters when he meets the Lord in the desert. It means I am who I am. It's a promise of his bigness and his eternal nature, but also his presence. But fourth, he says God. Now, God in the Hebrew Bible, El is a general term. Until the psalmist makes it personal, he says, not just God, but my God. He gives us those four names. Most High, Almighty, Yahweh, my God. But then he offers him uh, personal, then he offers these four metaphors that God is a refuge, a shelter, a place of safety, These, again, these are military terms, a place that you go when the battle gets heated, when you need rest, when you need protection. But notice the fourth image, I think, that's really surprising. It says that God is a shadow. God is a shadow. You know when you're watching, like, Criminal Minds and, uh, or another murder show, and there's, like, a door, and suddenly, like, a shadow, an outline of a human enters that doorway? That's a bad thing. That means somebody's going to get Somebody's going to get murdered. So when we think of shadow, it's interesting that God would be described as having a shadow because shadows are usually places of danger and darkness unless it's God's shadow. Shadows are usually places of danger and darkness unless it's God's shadow. Warren Wearsby, a really just great American preacher, said, the safest place in all the world is a shadow if it is the shadow of the Almighty. The safest place in all the world is a shadow, if it's the shadow of the Almighty. The psalmist is making an invitation to know God personally in the midst of battle, to live in his shelter. Do you see those verbs? Those are operative. To live in his shelter, to find rest in his shadow. This is about the long haul. This is not check in when there's a crisis, check out when everything's back to normal. This is not the arrangement. God is a homemaker. He is not a hotel manager. Jesus says, abide in me, find rest in me, and I will abide in you. The promises 
and protection of God are given to those who place themselves in his protective custody. The promises and protection of God are given to those who place themselves in his protective custody. And in this wartime sermon, Psalm 91 wants to give us a sense of what God's protective custody is like. And so the psalmist goes from talking about a general sense of his experience to a personal sense of his experience to address you, to talk to you, to preach you a sermon about what is it like to live in the protective custody of God. And that happens in verses 3 through 13. The psalmist tells us that we are safe from every trap. Verse 3, we are safe from deadly disease in verse 3 when we are in the protective custody of God. He says that we not, need not fear the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. We are protected from disease and the darkness and disaster at midday. Those are verses 5 and 6. He says, even when the battle gets heated, we will be the last one standing as the wicked are punished. No evil can conquer us. No plague can come near our home, that is our loved ones, our family. He says, we will have victory over our enemies, be they snakes or fierce lions. But this is the protective custody of God. It has all the bets covered. It has all eventualities thought about and planned for. But look at more closely at verses 5 and 6. Look at verses 5 and 6 and notice the time stamps. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness. Do not, or, or not, do not fear the disaster that strikes at midday. Do you see those timestamps? Night, day, darkness, midday. Those timestamps, uh, uh, th- this is a poetic device. It's called a merism, and it uses opposites to denote totality. So night and day, midday and darkness, these are opposites to denote totality. In other words, God's protection is given to those who trust in him, and that protection is given to us and is over us all of the time. We are under 24-7 surveillance. When we are in God's protective custody, Jesus says that God's care is so complete that every single hair on our head is numbered. A number that for me is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. His care and attention is so complete that the psalmist also says that God has dispatched special agents to oversee your protection. Look at verses 11 and 12. 11 says, he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They, notice the plural, they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. When you are under God's protective custody, when God protects those who trust in him, he dispatches the host of heaven to your aid. Now, here's what's important. Some people look at this passage and they say, this is how we know that God gives people a guardian angel. Let me tell you why they're wrong. Because when you say that God gives you a guardian angel, you're saying that God is being stingy with your protection. God doesn't give you one bodyguard. It says he commands the angels, angels plural. See, God dispatches the whole host of heaven for those he loves to protect us as bodyguards in the unseen realm. This is an echo of what we heard last week in Psalm 34, which says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The protective custody of God is complete. Everything is thought about. Uh, It it protects us from evils that we see. It protects us from evils that we can't. It's 24-7. There's special agents. Listen, it, it safeguards us in sickness. It watches over us in weakness. Uh, 
it safeguards us from spiritual attack. And in verses 14 through 16, we find that God loves doing this. That God loves doing this. Look at verses 14 through 16. These are passages. If you're of one that needs a passage to memorize in this season, to come back home, these are the verses to memorize. The Lord says, see the psalmist has been talking, he's been talking to us, but this is the most important voice we need to hear today. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue. I will honor them. I will reward them with a long life. I will give them my salvation. See, we've heard from the psalmist. We've heard of his personal experience. But now God chimes in and says, these are the things that I love to do for those who trust in me. He says, I love to rescue. I love to protect. I love to answer. I love to be with them in trouble. I love to rescue. I love to honor. I love to reward. I love to give salvation. God says, I love to rescue those who love me. I love to protect those who trust me. I love to answer those when they call. And those ones, the ones who love me, the ones who call on me, the ones who trust me, I am with them. I rescue them. I honor them. God, in these verses, verses 14 through 16, is making a pledge. He's making a promise. He's saying, here's what I do for those who trust me. In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91, remember the psalmist was inviting us to get personal with God. And here in verses 14 through 16, God is making the same invitation. Don't just know about me. Don't leave me at the periphery of your life. God says in these verses, love me. Call on me. Trust me. Trust me is the doorway to God's protective custody. Trust is the doorway to God's protective custody. This is why we can say that Psalm 91 is all about God protects those who trust him. God is inviting you to trust him, to know him, to call on him, to know him personally, to experience the powerful protection which he alone can provide. He is looking for you, yes, you, hi, to know, to know him deeply, to know him profoundly in an ongoing day-to-day, moment-by-moment, my whole life placed in his hands kind of way. In a word, God is inviting you into friendship with him, a friendship that begins today and defines every day from now to forever. If you look at the tippy top of Psalm 91, it doesn't have a name to it. If you look at other Psalms in your Bible, they'll be attributed to an author. Sometimes it's David, a lot of them are David. Sometimes it's Moses or the sons of Korah or Asaph or other people. But if you look at the top of Psalm 91, if you look at the top of Psalm 91, you'll notice that this psalm has no author. But this anonymous author, this psalm is written anonymously, I think, so that all of the attention goes on the the subject, not on the author itself. And the subject of Psalm 91, Psalm 91 is all about Jesus. How can we know this? Well, we know this because Jesus looks at the Old Testament and says, they testify about me. 
We know this even more so because in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is driven into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. Satan applies Psalm 91 to Jesus. I don't want to go too far into Luke 4 because, spoiler alert, we're going to preach that passage next week. But when Luke is writing this narrative, he, he reports that Satan uses Psalm 91 and applies it to Jesus so that we know that Psalm 91 is ultimately about Jesus. And as we read Psalm 91, we realize that the promises of Psalm 91, the promises of Psalm 91 find their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is the one that has victory over the serpent in verse 13. It is Jesus who judges the wicked, verse 8. Jesus is our true home, our true shelter and refuge, and in the shadow of his cross, we find redemption and freedom. The psalmist tells us that God's promises, God's promises are our armor and our protection. And it is Jesus' robe of righteousness that is given to me to cover my sin and protect me from the wrath of God. That is my armor. That is my protection. And as Paul puts it in Galatians, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 91 because only Jesus can make the promises of Psalm 91 really true. Here's what we know. Listen. Psalm 91 promises protection from disease and death, but we know that disease and death plagues Christians. Christians are not impervious to death and disease. They are not not, um, impervious to that. It it, it affects them. We know that Christians have fallen ill of COVID-19. We know that some of those who die will certainly be those who belong to Jesus. So without Jesus, without Jesus, Psalm 91 sounds too good to be true. Psalm 91 sounds too good to be true. But if Psalm 91 is about Jesus, then Psalm 91 simply becomes good news. Psalm 91 simply becomes good news. Uh, Because Jesus fulfills Psalm 91 through what his words in Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18. This is Revelation 1, Verses 17 and 18. And John, one of Jesus' apprentices, one of his interns, one of his disciples, is isolated, does that sound familiar, on an island called Patmos, and he has a vision of Jesus. And And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. These are good words for this time. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus lives a perfect life, died a sinless death, and on that first Easter morning, something happened that had never happened before. Jesus rose from the dead, and this was not a resuscitation This was a resurrection. Jesus walked out of the tomb having a body and and a being and an existence like no one had ever seen before, a body and a being and an existence that you and I, who claim the name of Jesus, are promised to have forever. Jesus, speaking to his friend in the book book of Revelation, says, matter of factly, I died and I'm alive forevermore. That's the tone I hear it in. Not, I died. But no, I died. I'm alive. 
And elsewhere, Jesus says, and because I live, you shall live also. When Jesus goes on to say, I hold the keys to death and the grave, Jesus is saying, I hold the keys to what makes you truly afraid. And hear me, when, when we claim the promises of Psalm 91, when we claim the promise that God protects those who trust in him, we are claiming the promise that Jesus will protect us even in death. That those who trust in Jesus will be protected even in death. These things have no power over us. Instead, we can trust that all who belong to Jesus are protected in death. All who trust in Jesus will be protected by his goodness and power. And so the promises of Psalm 91 really become our armor and protection in these days, even amid the fear and the chaos and the uncertainty because of Jesus. Because of Jesus who says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. This morning, I have an invitation for you. I have an invitation, and I have a challenge. The invitation is for those of you who, as you're watching today, are realizing, I know a lot about God, but I don't know God personally. I don't know him the way my brother does or my friend does or my siblings do or my kids do or my parents do. The invitation then for you today is to offer Jesus your trust. To do uh, what Jesus is speaking of, uh, excuse me, what, God, what the psalmist is speaking of in Psalm 91 verses 14 through 16, to love God, to call on him to trust him, to trust him knowing that he loves to give salvation to those who call on him. Jesus is looking this morning for your trust, for you to give him your trust today in crisis and every day. He's asking for him to give you, he, he's asking for you to give him, he's asking for you to give him everything that makes you, you. Your accomplishments, your relationships, your hurts, your material wealth, your mistakes, your pride. He wants you to take everything that makes you, you, and put it into his hands every day until forever. It means a long obedience in the same direction. It means a change in the trajectory of your life forever. In this passage, in this passage, the God of the universe is asking you to trust him today. To trust him, to know him, to find rest in his shadow forever. And to do this, there isn't a magic sequence of words. You simply need to follow what Psalm 91 says, to call on God. To turn toward him in your mind and your heart there are no magic words. There's just a good father who has given us his son so that when we turn toward him, he comes running, comes running and takes the steps three at a time to get to us. I want to invite you that if you've never put your trust in Jesus today to offer that to him. For those of you watching who know Jesus, not just know about him, but know him, 
whether you've trusted him for 50 years or 50 weeks or 50 seconds. I want to challenge you to pray. I want to challenge you to pray. I want to challenge you to participate in what God wants to do in the world. I want to challenge you to take up the authority that you have been given as adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe. I want to challenge you to take up that, ex- that authority and exercise it uh, for the good of our world, the good of our neighbors, the good of our community, and for God's glory. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. In 2014, Young Life, which is a global ministry, called the world to prayer in the midst of the Ebola outbreak. Uh, they called on the global church to pray Psalm 91 for 91 days. And on the 91st day, the epicenter of the Ebola outbreak was declared clear. On Tuesday of this week, I began to pray Psalm 91 every day. And today, I want to invite you to join me in praying Psalm 91 every day. The 91st day starting on Tuesday would be June 16th. And and the reason I, 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 let me give you a caveat. Psalm 91 is not a magic spell that gets God to do what we want. That is not how prayer works. Prayer is not using religious words to force God to do our bidding. Instead, prayer is a participation in God's life and God's work. It's a participation in God's life and God's work. And the script that God has given us to participate is scripture. And the, the, the portion of the script I want to point you to in these days is Psalm 91. When we give Jesus our trust, he adopts us into God's family. We become adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And we are given authority to reign and rule with him. And if this sounds foreign, I'm going to write about it in the emails this week. God is inviting us to partner with him. God is inviting us into partnership today and to trust that in so doing, God will respond and hear, respond and hear and move. Because God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Let's pray. God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the one who has invited us into your presence. God, we pray that we would uh, hear your invitation and your challenge to join in your purposes. I pray, God, for the one who is on the fence this morning, who is unsure of how to respond to God, that you would move in his or her life, that they would place their trust in you in these uncertain times, and not just in these uncertain times, but that something would be getting in them that would last forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness toward us and your invitation today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Here at Regen, one of the things that we really value is um, response time. And and the reason we value that is because Scripture talks about in James that um, we don't want to be like a man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets about what he looks like. 
We don't want to be the people who hear the word of God and then don't act on what we sense the Father is inviting us to. Um, there's a lot of things today and this week and right now that feel urgent. There's a lot of things that feel um, overwhelming. There's some things that feel less urgent maybe than they did a week ago. Um, but I just I want to invite you that the Father's invitation is always one of urgency um, because he wants us to live in true freedom. He wants us to know him fully and to be transformed by our knowing of him. And so I want to invite you today to just kind of lean into the invitation and the challenge that Kyle has already offered. Um, and so if you um, have not placed your faith in Christ and today you're sensing like, this is something I want to do, this is a step I want to take, then I want to encourage you to reach out. Um, obviously, we wish you were here and we could talk with you in person and pray with you in person, but um, we can't. And so we'd invite you to, if there's someone in the space where you are that you can talk to about that, we'd invite you to do that. And if not, we'd invite you to reach out to us uh, via social media or um, by text and let us know and let us come alongside you. Um, if you're someone who already knows Jesus and you're um, kind of just maybe in a place of fear and anxiety, I want to invite you to lean into trusting um, the Father's character, even in the midst of these uncertain times. And so um, my question is for you today is, what is the Father inviting you to? And then who is one other person that you can tell about that, um, whether that's in person or um, by text or phone? And so we're going to just take a couple minutes, um, and then uh, Joy and Julia will lead us another song. Hey, Regen fam, thanks for listening today. As we continue to walk this wilderness, I want to encourage you to be reaching out to others, to be serving one another, and if you feel so led, to continue to support the ministries of regeneration by going to myregen.org give. I'm praying for you daily. You are loved. See you soon.